inflation you may have noticed yesterday held in October um, at 6.9%, the same as it was the month before. Now, the good news is that it didn't go up despite rising gasoline prices. The bad news is it didn't go down despite months of interest rate hikes trying to make it so. RSM Canada economist Tu Wen says the report was not surprising. This was um, not, I think it was not totally unexpected. It's obviously not not a good thing that inflation remains very stubborn, but the increase was almost entirely made up of increasing in gasoline prices, right? Now, keep in mind, uh, it has eased from 8.1% back in June, so it's down a little bit. It's proving stubborn, though. Canada is not alone, needless to say. In the group G20, the group of 20 top economies in the world, Argentina, 88%, Turkey, 85%, Britain, 11.1%, the EU, 107 the US is 77 all of them higher than us. The only countries in the G7 faring better than Canada right now are France and Japan, but what is to blame for infl- inflation in the first place? Why are we seeing this in so many places? Well, the opposition, of course, would like to blame it on the government. Here is uh, Jazrad Halan uh, attacking the finance minister in the House of Commons today. The minister's Mickey Mouse advice to cancel Disney subscriptions to magically save Canadians this winter from freezing won't help anybody. While the out-of-touch finance minister sits in her ivory tower in downtown Toronto lecturing Canadians, more and more people are hit with liberal inflation and rising taxes. So, what is to blame? I mean, we've been talking about this for months now, but... One U.S. academic has looked at Canada's situation from afar, so it's always interesting when someone from outside the country takes a look at your country, and he has a theory. It may sound familiar to a lot of people who feel like Ottawa borrowed too much and spent too much during the pandemic. Uh, Joining me now is John Cochran. He is a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution at Stanford University. He's author of The Fiscal Theory of the Price Level and a very good blog called The Grumpy Economist, which I recommend, and he joins us now. Thanks so much for your time. It's a pleasure. So uh, this has been a billion-dollar question in many uh, countries of late, uh, certainly here in Canada. What is driving high inflation? And you've landed, I think, on a $700 billion answer. Uh, What might it be? Uh, I think the primary cause was that um, Canada's government, like the U.S. government and many others, basically borrowed and printed a whole bunch of money and sent people checks. Those people are spending that money, and that's driving up prices. You've agreed that that was helping people out was the right thing to do at the time. Uh, the problem happened afterwards. What was it? Helping people was the right thing to do uh, in modest amounts, but it was right. horribly overdone uh, by many of our governments. I know the facts in the U.S. more than Canada, and we don't have my Canadian co-author here. Right. Uh, but in the U.S., we, uh, we didn't just give checks to people who were unemployed or kicked out of their houses. We gave checks to retirees living on federal pensions Everybody got checks. So I think the wild overdoneness was was uh, a lot of the problem. I guess uh, that was part of the issue. The, the rush to get money out the door meant that they cast a very wide net. And a lot of people here in Canada, they've been trying to bring just, you know, take some of that money back. It hasn't been all that effective. They are trying to do it. But really, you, just too much money out there, period. Yeah. Uh, and I, I know in the U.S., the discussion was not just let's help people in trouble, but let's give general fiscal stimulus. So this was the idea. You just don't need fiscal stimulus for an economy that shut down from a pandemic. That's a different thing than a, a regular recession. So uh, you've talked about uh, the fact that that um, that what was needed here was a plan to repay that money, and that's what you're not seeing. 
Well, yes, our governments can borrow and print lots of money, and they often do, without causing a lot of inflation if people think the government has a plan to pay the money back. It turns into inflation when people don't see a plan to uh, pay it back. And that's partly um, our politicians weren't making a lot of noise about we're going to pay this back someday, uh, and partly the fact that it was sent out as checks, which sort of sends that signal. But that is, there is not a, a constant tie between deficits and inflation. You can run big deficits if you're fighting a war. You can build up a lot of debt if everybody understands there's a reason, which there was in this case, but also if everybody understands there's a way it's going to get paid back. And then they hold on to the debt. It's a good investment. They don't try to spend it right away. So in this case, the opposite is happening. Uh, evidently, yes, because we're getting people are trying to get rid of that debt and uh, we're driving up prices instead. Um, what role did central banks play in all this? Because uh, I remember I was actually working in the financial industry at the outset of the pandemic and through those early years. There was an awful lot of talk that that inflation would be transitory, it would be short-lived. Um, were central banks caught off guard here? They were amazingly caught off guard. And that's one of the big uh, unsolved questions. How can central banks with a 2% inflation target get so surprised by 8 9 10% inflation? Oh, we didn't see this coming. Uh, I think the problem is in both the Bank of Canada and the U.S. Fed. Our central bankers just don't think in terms of supply. They think always in terms of demand. So they got utterly blindsided by it. They did participate uh, in the big, big fiscal blowout was not just borrowed money. The Bank of Canada bought a lot of that debt from the government and turned it quickly into money, uh, which is more inflationary. And the U.S. Fed did the same thing. So they were they were blindsided by it. They were part of the printing money part of it. Uh, and then they kept interest rates low for a very long time, not noticing that the inflation was coming. In that sense, they didn't really start the inflation, but they could have gotten going more to do the one thing they know how to do, which is to raise interest rates. Yeah, but if all central bankers, and this includes you know, uh, the Bank of England, uh, certainly the Fed, the Bank of Canada, all of them seem to be playing from the singing from the same songbook. So was this a, a, an issue of, um, of ideology? Was this sort of a way of approaching things that suddenly stopped working? I don't think of it as ideology, but it certainly is. Uh, central bankers talk to each other. They live in kind of a bubble, and they speak this language that nobody outside the bubble does not understand. Right. And I think they talk themselves into, uh, oh, it's supply shocks. Oh, it's just transitory. Oh, it'll go away. Go back and look at the history of the 1970s. It's remarkably similar. Every time inflation went up, it's, oh, it's uh, supply shocks. Oh, the dog ate my homework. It's not our fault. It'll go away. So there's a natural human tendency, plus the way central banks think about things, which I think led to this uh, big mistake. Yeah, what 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 is that? How do they think about it? Because right now, clearly what's happened is that inflation is high. It seems fairly sticky, fairly persistent, although it's showing signs of leveling off a little bit here and certainly in the U.S. where you are. But, you know, the Canadians, many of whom can least afford to cope with higher prices, are suddenly really bearing the brunt of rising interest rates and persistent inflation. Yes, uh, as, as we will in the U.S., uh, things keep going this way. You know, it's very uncomfortable. A central banker would love it if it just goes away. And sometimes little blips in prices do go away. Inflation is very poorly measured. Jumping on it immediately with high interest rates is hard. And their tool is very limited. Recognize what we're trying to do. We have inflation that comes from a big fiscal blowout. And we say, oh, central bank, you go clean this up. Well, you know, the driver's got his foot on the gas pedal and the poor central banker has to pull the brake. And the tool is very uncomfortable. It raises interest rates, which people don't like. It raises mortgage rates, raises borrowing rates. The tool is to cause a little bit of a recession. 
Now, they hope to cause just enough of a recession to offset the inflationary boom, but that often goes wrong. And nobody likes a recession. Uh, so they're very reluctant to use it. And it's, it has limited power, I mean, really because the inflation came from somewhere else. John Cochran is with us this half hour. He's a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution at Stanford University. He's also author of the Grumpy Economist blog. We're talking about inflation. Canada's new inflation uh, numbers came out yesterday for the month of October. Um, steady at 6.9%. So staying there, despite the another rise in interest rates, it uh, seems fairly sticky. But economists have thought it might go up even a little a little bit in uh, in the month because gasoline prices were up. Uh, so we're seeing some of the limits of, of the Bank of Canada's sole tool it seems here, which is to raise interest rates. Um, what else can be done? <laughs> well, there is a big question right now. I'm going to give a little preface and then what can be done. Um, and, and that this kind of divides the uh, academic community. We, know, we and central bankers know a whole lot less about inflation than we like to pretend. Right. And so will the inflation kind of go away on its own with modest interest rate rises? Or is the system unstable and uh, until the Bank of Canada raises interest rates above inflation, which means 7, 8, 9, 10% interest rates, will inflation spiral ever upwards? Now, conventional wisdom has been on the spiral ever upwards track, which says that only big interest rate rises and the consequent recession will bring it back. Uh, my own little branch of fiscal theory suggests, no, uh, that's not true. In fact, this inflation will go away pretty much once people have spent all that extra money and debt that they got uh, during the pandemic, even without massive interest rate rises. And, and the, the gentle tailing off of inflation does uh, seem to bear that out, but, but we'll see. What else can we do? So what are we going to do now? We're going to raise interest rates until inflation starts going down. That's clearly what's going to happen. Uh, fundamentally, though, if, if the problem was fiscal, the solution is fiscal. You know, Canada's big economic problem is not inflation. It's very, very slow growth. And getting growth going again would do wonders for inflation because it would put the government's fiscal policy back on track. Canada has a 100% debt to GDP ratio. So if you got growing again, then tax receipts would go up, spending needs would go down. I start paying off the debt and everything would uh, look much better without, uh, without much pain. You can get rid of inflation without much pain if you can get the economy and the sort of general fiscal policy steady and, and growing again. Yeah, you had some stats in that op-ed that were pretty shocking about just how little uh, wage growth has 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 how little wage growth has happened in this country. Uh, it really, it's almost stagnant um, over the last twenty years. Uh, it is stagnant. <laughs> yeah, and combine it with the exchange rate uh, decline. I mean, in terms of your ability to buy stuff in the U.S., Canada hasn't grown at all since two thousand ten. It's grown very very slowly in real Canadian dollars. You know, and, and I kind of despair of the U.S. growing slowly, but I look around the world. And this is common to the UK and Europe and Canada, this that really the tailing off of economic growth, which is that in the end, you know, look how much better off you are than your grandparents were. That's what economic growth does. And if that stops happening, that, that's a big disaster. Yes. And also solid growth solves the inflation problem. <laughs> right. We saw some some numbers out of uh, we saw things numbers coming out of England today were out of the UK which were staggering just sort of a lost decade um, based on some of the same issues. How do we avoid or how do we emerge from this stagnation? What aren't we doing? You called it sort of sand and sand in the gears. How how do we get rid of it? Well, yeah, inflation really is a wake up call, a slap in the face. Uh, I need some more metaphors here. <laughs> it overturns a decade's worth of bad economic ideas. 
you cannot get back to growth by borrowing more money and spending it. And sort of the standard economic policy advice, not from me, but from standard people who offer it was, oh, secular stagnation, you need to borrow more money, you need to send it out. That's over. The more money you send out, you just the more inflation you get. Uh, so we got to go back to the supply side. We have now seen what the supply capacity of the economy is. Got to grow that. And that you don't grow that with big schemes. You grow that with, um, I call it the grand Murray condoing of the economy. <laughs> right. You got to clean up all the sand and the gears in each little market. As a last question, one thing I found interesting, though, is, is is you think that, you know, Canada, countries like Canada, the UK too, I guess at this point, the US, we're kind of in a precarious position if there were to be anything else that were to, you know, another shock to the system, so to speak. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that really is what keeps me up at night. Um, we make all our plans assuming nothing bad will happen, but we are now, uh, both the US and Canada, at 100% debt to GDP ratio. That means the government has borrowed uh, one times the entire annual output of the economy. And remember, the government doesn't own the whole economy, at least not yet. <laughs> so that's many, many years of, of government revenue and spending. The danger of that is, is not so much the regular trundling along, but the what happens in a shock. Uh, certainly there's a danger. If interest rates rise, then uh, we have to pay more interest on the debt. They, our governments are like a couple that buys a huge house they can't really afford, but the payments are low and they got the adjustable rate mortgage. Well, what happens when the mortgage rate goes up? That's a problem. And the other big problem is there will be another crisis, a pandemic, China invades Taiwan. I, I don't know, something bad will Anything. happen. Yeah, yeah. Sure. And our governments will want to stimulate and bail out and borrow trillions more dollars and we have just found we're at the point where the markets are saying, you know, we don't really want trillions more dollars of that stuff. Uh, we're just going to, you know, we're going to try to spend it and cause inflation. So you don't want to go into the next crisis with your ability to borrow tapped out. The Grumpy Economist blog. Again, I highly recommend it. John Cochran, we'll leave it at that. Thank you so much for your insight on this. Thank you very much. Great questions.